Open with, with me, if you would, into your Bibles. To James chapter 5, as Caleb comes forward. I've asked him to uh, do the reading of the Scripture passage for us this morning. James chapter 5, verses 16 to 20. Stand for the reading of God's holy word. Therefore, confess your sins to each other, and pray for each other, so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from, his, from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Ascends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Caleb. I mentioned to some of you Wednesday, I didn't realize um, last week's sermon was almost an hour. It was 50 minutes long. <laughs> and I only knew this because I, I listened to it back and I'm looking at the time, I'm like, what in the world? And I thought, well, maybe Caleb added like the song. No, it was 50 minutes. But I didn't even notice it when I was preaching it. But so what I'm going to do this week is I'm going to um, make amends, and it's going to be a much shorter sermon uh, this week. I'm going to try to take it a little more easy on you. It was just so, such good content, I couldn't stop last week. So, so I, that was definitely God. I'm, I'm going to see what I could do this week to, to, uh, to be a little more mindful of the time. So, so what I did this week, um, before we even get into it, and then I'm going to pray, is I cut out the huge intro, which usually takes about a good page for me in my notes. Um, we're going to hit the ground running right where we left off from last week, um, which is the prayer of a, a righteous man uh, is, is effective. That's where we're going to jump in, and uh, just so you know that. So let's pray. Father, we do need your help not only to understand your word, but more importantly, to truly take it to heart and to, by faith, put it into practice in a, in a daily sense, every day, Lord. So we are finishing up this great book in terms of our study, but we pray, Lord, that it would not be finished up in our lives, that the things you have told us we would keep hidden in our hearts and our minds and that we would put them into practice for your glory, for our good, and the good of the world that you've placed us in. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So what we see in this text that we've been looking at, uh, the last part of chapter 5 of James, uh, the message is this. As we await our Lord's return, we're to continue to pray and help those who go astray. That's what we're to do. We're to continue to pray and help those who have gone astray as we wait for Jesus to come because He promised He's coming. And we want to be ready when he comes doing what he calls us to do we don't want to be caught unaware so what we looked at the first one last week the first point when we should pray then this week we're going to be looking at why we should pray and helping those who go astray so james has just told us when we should pray if you remember from last week if not i'll real quick um recap we should pray when we're afflicted we should pray when we're happy and blessed we should praise god in prayer and when we're sick, we should have the elders come and pray. When we have sins that we need to deal with, we should be praying one for another, confessing our sins and praying. In short, what James is saying is we should pray 
always. In other words, when should we pray? In every circumstance, happy, sad, sick, healthy, things going good, things going horrible. Now what he does is he encourages us with the reason why. Why should we pray in all these circumstances? And this is where we pick it up, I believe, at the end of verse 16. James says this, The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Because despite popular opinion, the prayer of humble, believing people who don't merely hear the word but strive to put it into practice, that prayer is effective. You know how in the world people will say, well, all we can do is pray. And what they usually mean by that is, it ain't going to do nothing. We're at the end of our rope. We've done everything we could do. And I guess all we could do now is kind of throw up a little, little prayer. That's not the Bible's view. That's not the biblical view of the gift of prayer. Here we see prayer is effective. What is a righteous man? A righteous man is certainly a man who is righteous on account of his faith in Christ. We call that justification. We call that um, judicial righteousness, as it were. Righteousness has been imputed to us. But a righteous person is not only one who has been justified. A righteous person is one who displays their faith in Christ by humbly walking with Jesus, confessing sin when we fall, turning back to to God, and walking in the truth of the gospel. If there's anything you've gotten out of the book of James, you should see that. Right? It's not only hearers of the word, but those who do it. Right? When such a person prays, James says it's effective. Now, how effective is it? Listen, we just, it, it, this is an appropriate weekend to, to, to listen to this illustration. It's so effective, it can stop the rain. That's pretty powerful. When you ask God and he shuts the heavens up and goes, not a drop. And it's so effective that years later, according to his word, when, you, when we pray, and as we're going to see, someone did do this, Lord, open your heavens. It starts it again. That's the example that James gives us. He could have picked tons of examples, but he picked the life of the prophet Elijah. And he says this in verse 17. Look, Elijah <clears throat> excuse me, was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and then the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Now here's why I think it's so important. Every word that he's saying here we need to pay attention to. Whereas in verse 16 he qualifies his statement with the fact that it's the prayer of a righteous man that avails much. And, and, and what he means by that is obviously if someone's walking out of fellowship with God, they don't care what God says, they live any way they want, and they still, oh, well, I'm justified by faith, but they're not following God. Obviously their prayers aren't going to be that powerful. When we're not in fellowship with God, we're not walking with God by faith, we can't expect that our prayers are going to avail. That's what he was saying earlier. But what he's saying here. He's emphasizing here the fact that Elijah, don't get the wrong impression, James is saying, Elijah was a man just like you and me. He wasn't a super Christian. He wasn't a Green Beret Christian. 
God didn't hear him because he's a prophet. It's not like God, like Elijah said, hello, uh, Lord. And the Lord said, yes. And he goes, this is the prophet speaking. And then, oh, I'm sorry. I'm going to clear my, uh, my uh, agenda for today. Okay, Elijah, you're a prophet. <laughs> what is a prophet to God? The only reason Elijah was a prophet because God called him one. You with me? No, he makes it very clear. He's a man who had doubts like us, struggles like us, passions like us. And what happens is when we read the examples of faith, hope, and love in the Bible, we almost can't help but put these folks on a pedestal. We view them as these great giants of the faith whose faith and godliness is so extraordinary that they're literally unreachable by other mere mortals such as you and I. You know, when I, used to, uh, when I was first saved and I would read the life of Paul in the book of Acts and I would, I would read the epistles, by the grace of God, I was young and crazy enough to believe that, hey, God did these things for Paul. He could do this for me. Hey, Paul, prayed, I could pray like that too. Now, sometimes we may go overboard and realize we don't have the office of them. But here in this case, in particular, James says, absolutely. I'm setting forth Elijah as an example to you. And I'm telling you, he's just like you. Just a human being. You, you've been looking at this wrong. Elijah and other exemplary believers in the Bible give us such strong, deep, lasting encouragement because of the very fact that they were weak, frail, and often failing people like you and me. That's the encouragement. And speaking of Elijah, let me just give you this example. The Bible tells us very clearly that at the moment of his greatest victory, he, he prays this great prayer to prove that the Lord is the true God, the God of all the heavens and the earth, and he made everything. And there's one true God of heaven and earth. And he prayed and God answered his prayer and, and consumed the sacrifice and consumed all the water he poured on it. And it was proven that the Lord was God and, and um, he defeated the prophets of Baal. And he goes off the mountain after that great victory and he hears that Jezebel who was the queen at the time, the evil queen, said something along the lines of that I'm going to kill. I'm going to kill Elijah. And so because of what that woman said, Elijah goes into a deep depression and he basically says, Lord, take my life. Not very deep in faith, is he, at that point? He was weak and he failed just like you and I. He had the same kind of passions, same kind of struggles. And Dan Doriani puts it this way. Like us, he served from a position of weakness. He felt the world's powers arrayed against him. He was prone to despair. He was not worthy. He was simply a righteous man who prayed for individuals and for society. End of quote. And it's important for us to note that the example that James puts before us, who is Elijah, is a clear example of praying for God's will to be done, not praying with self-centered motives. It's a big difference. Elijah didn't come to God with a grocery list of all the things he wanted. He did not treat God like so often people treat God today, like the genie in the lamp. He didn't grab the lamp and say, Lord, I have three wishes. What should I wish for? That wasn't Elijah's M.O., as it were. You need to see, if we had time to read the whole story, and I encourage you to go read Elijah's life when you have a chance, 
maybe even this week in your devotions. But Elijah prayed for God's promises to come to pass. He prayed for God to do what he already promised he would do. God promised if Israel rebelled against him that he would bring a drought for three years. And Elijah was simply praying, Lord, your will be done. Lord, in accordance with what you have promised, make it so. I pray in accordance with your will. And then he prayed in accordance with God's will when God was uh, about to restore his people and show them his, his grace and mercy. Robert Law puts it this way, prayer is not getting man's will done in heaven, it's getting God's will done on earth. Isn't that interesting? It's not man's will, trying to get God to do man's will in heaven, it's trying to get God's will be done on earth. A lot of good stuff in here. But I will move on. Notice how he prayed. It's very important. It says he prayed earnestly. And the literal Greek translation would be this. He prayed in prayer. <laughs> if you want a literal translation. That's why sometimes, by the way, literal isn't always better. Sometimes it's good to get, get the idea of what the writer is saying. And that's exactly what he means. He prayed in praying means he prayed fervently. He prayed earnestly. He was persistent, and his heart was in it. Notice James has been talking about this, by the way, in all of his, his total, the totality of his epistle. It comes up, up again and again that God does not appreciate double-mindedness, right? The double-minded man, he asks for wisdom, God's not going to give it to him because he's double-minded. He's unstable in all he does. And then later, remember, when he calls us to repentance, he says, you know, uh, um, cry and repent and wail, you double-minded. That's what he says. No, God listens. You will seek me and find me, God says in Jeremiah, when you seek me with what? Your whole heart. That's the kind of prayer we're talking about here. James is talking about. I'm going to read one section from 1 Kings, an Elijah story. And I want to show you what James is referring to. Uh, 1 Kings 18, 42 to 46. This is when Elijah was praying for God now to restore the rain. Uh, so it's 1 Kings 18, 42 to 46. Listen to this. But Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. Listen to this. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. And he went and looked. There's nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. I'm going to stop there. Imagine this. He's praying. The guy comes back. Sorry, man, I don't see nothing. So he says, go look again. Praise more. Servant comes back. Nothing. Go and look again. Seven times Elijah does this. The seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds, the wind rose, and a heavy rain came on, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. And you have to see <laughs> Elijah's faith. 
look what the servant report. The servant didn't report. There's a great black. You know, like like this weekend when we saw the black clouds coming in a few days ago, we were like, rut row. We knew it was coming. Well, all Elijah's servant saw was a little cloud as big as a man's hand. And Elijah had the faith and the boldness to tell the king of Israel at that time, you better get home because the rain is coming. If you don't want to get wet, hit it. And all he saw as evidence was a cloud as big of a hand as a hand. But he already knew the Lord was answering, didn't he? So when should we pray? In all circumstances. Why should we pray? Because the prayer of a righteous person is effective. And lastly, and I want to spend a little bit of time here. This is why I want to save some time for this. The last thing that James talks about to end his great epistle is that we should help those who stray. We should pray and help those who stray. Look at verses 19 to 20. I'm just going to spend a couple minutes on this. My brothers... He says that a lot in this epistle, doesn't he? My brothers, part of the same family. James is not highfalutin. He's not, well, I am an elder in the church. My brothers. And that means brothers and sisters, by the way. If one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Now, any student of the Bible has to ask the question, why would James end not only this chapter, but his whole book on this note? Right? No concluding greeting, uh, no, nothing. Just ends it with these two strong verses about restoring folks who stray. I believe it's because his entire letter has been exhorting us to keep on keeping with Jesus by faith. He's been exhorting us to humble ourselves before the Lord when we fall, to, to, to resist the devil, to draw near to God, to repent of the different things in the church that he saw among God's people that ought not to be. And he knows, okay, I give you an epistle, but I won't be with you always. How are these things in the church going to be addressed when when I'm not here anymore, when the apostles aren't here anymore? And so I think think we can see very clearly he's exhorting the people of God to continue what he's been doing throughout this epistle one with another. You understand? He's exhorting us to encourage and rebuke and exhort and go after one another. And to keep one another. He's already said this in his epistle. Chapter 5, verse 9. Don't grumble against each other. He said this in 5.16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. Now he's saying, restore one another. James is talking about body life. He's talking about the local family of believers looking out for one another. Uh, loving one another, encouraging one another, going after one another when we see one another going in the wrong direction. And this is where it should be happening. In the family. Because God loves us and we love one another. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. It's a profound quote and I want to quote it in full. He, meaning God, works on us in all sorts of ways. But above all, he works on us through each other. 
Men are mirrors or carriers of Christ to other men. Usually it's those who know Him that bring Him to others. That is why the church, the whole body of Christians, showing Him to one another is so important. It's so easy to think that the church has a lot of different objects. Um, Education, building, missions, holding services. The church exists for no other purpose but to draw men into Christ. To make them little Christs. And if they're not doing that, all the cathedrals, all the clergy, all the missions, all the sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. It's even doubtful, you know, whether the whole universe was created for any other, purpose, any other reason. That's profound. He wants us to be united with Christ, to be like Christ, and to carry Christ one to another. And our job here in Atlantic City is to lead other people to Christ and bring them into Christ's family so they could be worshipers of the one true God through Christ. If that's not happening, what are we doing? Right? That's what C.S. Lewis is saying. Let's take just a few moments to look at the language that James uses here. He says, if one of you should wander from the truth. The idea here is someone who's wandering around aimlessly. Gradually losing their way until they find themselves far away. Far away from what should be the question. Well, James tells us, far away from the truth. If any of you wanders from the truth. In a society that tells us truth doesn't matter, James is telling us it matters. The difference is between heaven and hell. That's how serious truth matters. He's already mentioned the truth twice in his epistle. And one time, it's in uh, chapter 1, verse 18, he says that God chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all He created. What is the truth? The truth is the Word of God as it is revealed to us in the Scriptures. This is the truth. And particularly the Gospel, the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the truth. To wander away from the truth, listen, is to wander away from God. Period. You don't have God without His truth. Otherwise, it's a God you're making up. It ain't the the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's some God you made up in your own mind. And when James talks about those who wander from the truth, he's talking about not only wandering from the propositional truth, the statements of truth, which are important, but from living the truth. It's all of a piece, right? James has been talking about that. It's all together. Whether you're leaving in your practice or whether you're leaving in your belief in the truth, it's all the same. Curtis Vaughn puts it this way. It means to either renounce the principles of the faith or to fail to live by its precepts or both. So the one would be to deny, for instance, Jesus is God. You have now wandered from the truth. Seriously. Right? But to fail to live by its precepts. I know the people, oh, Jesus is God. Amen. Praise the Lord. And then they go out and live like the devil. James says both is a departure 
from the truth. And the idea of wandering or straying connotes the idea of gradual spiritual decline. It's not something that happens right away. Like I've mentioned a million times before, like when you're in the ocean and you're not paying attention and you're, oh, look at this thing, look at that thing. And before you know it, you go to look at the shore and you're like, whoa, I'm like a mile away from the shore. How'd that happen? It didn't happen in one second unless there was some kind of tide. But you know what I mean. Sometimes you ain't paying attention. I'll give you another example. One time I was looking for um, uh, shells and sea glass on the beach. And we had to be somewhere, like not too... uh, real quick time here. I only had a little bit of time to do it. So I'm with a friend of mine, actually my friend's daughter, and we're going along the beach, going along the beach, and by the time I looked up, I saw the sign It said Bradshaw's Beach, which I knew was way far away from Bayhead where I was. And my, my friend always brings this up to me, and I said, Bradshaw's? Oh, and we had no shoes on, and the team was already ready to leave, and, and I had to go and walk on the street. With, it was like this crazy thing. But here's, it didn't happen quickly right? It was one step, another step, another step away, another step further away. And and after a gradual amount of time, next thing you know, I am way too far away to get there, get back in time. So for us, maybe it's we start dipping into a fleshly sin and we try to justify it to ourselves. Oh, this is just a, a temporary detour. It's not a big deal. Or maybe it's a, a, temp, a step toward knowing what when you know what God's will is for your life as his child you start deviating it deviating it from it little by little or maybe even you're giving too much of your time to an otherwise good thing that in and of itself is good but you find yourself giving yourself so much to this one thing that you start neglecting God's call in your life You begin to skip regular prayer times. Anybody sound familiar to anybody here? (laughs) You stop reading your Bible. And then we know what goes next. You stop coming to church. You start making those statements like I read uh, just the other day. Uh, You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Even though we know the Bible says, let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as some are in the habit of doing. But what? All the more as you see the day approaching. In other words, Christ's second coming. Encourage one another and spur one another on to love and good deeds. We know that when we're walking. But as we start wandering, our hearts start cooling to the things of God. You with me? And then normal arguments that we used to be able to say to one another, we notice there is this strange opposition. And you're like, wait a minute, you call yourself a Christian and yet you sound like... You're opposing God and His Word. And before you know it, you can't remember the last time you really prayed like we just read about fervently for anything. The disease spreads until you're not only double-minded in your commitment to Christ, but you're openly hostile to God and His people. And to his things. And so James says this, because notice, James says, if any of you should go astray. We're not talking about non believers, we're talking about those who profess faith now. And James says, remember this whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. 
So as I mentioned earlier, wandering from the truth is equivalent to wandering from God. And, and this is what James is saying. This is where it gets real serious, folks. To be in a permanent state of living apart from God in the error of your way is to be on a path to death and destruction. That's serious stuff. And it's not that James is teaching here that a true child of God who's been born of the truth can lose their salvation. He's not saying that. But he is simply saying that those who've been born of the truth and lost their way must be brought back. They can't stay in that state of rebellion and disobedience. Listen, i got one more heady quote for you, and then we're going to wrap up with a few comments. John Adam, I think he wrote in the late 1800s, this commentary, but it's such good stuff. He expresses what James is saying here when he writes this. They have gone astray in either of the ways mentioned, and that so grievously that were they left to persist in the course they entered on, they should eternally perish. It is so inconsistent with a state of grace, so fitted to eat out the life of the Spirit, so defiling and deadly in its nature, that were they not speedily recovered out of it, they must, after all, be castaways. But the constitution of the covenant provides against such an issue. And one of the chief means employed to prevent it is prayer and effort on the part of fellow Christians. That's the last part I want you to hear and how it's so important. In other words, here's the issue. If someone has strayed and they have wandered, we have to know in the church if they are to stay in that state, then they would be lost. So we need to take it seriously when God says we need to go reclaim them. We need to bring them back when they, from when they wander. And here's the issue. Well, isn't it true if once you're truly saved and born again, you can't lose your salvation? Amen. But one of the ways God reclaims His children so they are not lost eternally is He sends His people to go get them. And I want to tell you, this is true as a pastor and it's true as a Christian. It's probably one of the hardest, most distasteful duties at times is reclaiming those who have strayed. Because when you see, especially a brother or sister you've had sweet fellowship with, who is now out of fellowship with God, A, it breaks your heart, but then B, when you start reasoning with them and, and just trying to kindly, lovingly, you know, gently nudging them back in the way, you find a different side of them maybe that you never saw before. And it's painful to see someone you love rejecting the Savior who's the only one who can help them. And sometimes it's, it's, we get into this consumer Christianity where we only do what we feel is good or what meets my needs. And that one book, I never even read it. I just like the title of it, Do Hard Things. Being a Christian, as we've mentioned, Jesus has mentioned over and over again in His Word, it means taking up your cross. It means denying yourself. And denying yourself to the point is, I want you to like me. But if I come and call you out, you might not like me no more. And some of us, that's hard for us to take because we like to be liked. Amen? God is saying, if, 
any of this means anything to you in the church. When you see a brother wandering, you need to go get him. It doesn't say let the elders of the church go get him. Is that what it says? No, it says any of you turns a sinner back. He has rescued him. Thank God I've been on the other side of that too. I've been on the positive side where people come back. <laughs> and, and I know it wasn't me because I fumbled around and I did it reluctantly and it wasn't easy, but God in His mercy. But no matter what the response, the, the, the reaction is, we still have to go. And here's the thing. If we keep a tighter rein on it, as it were, it doesn't have to get to that point where they're miles out. We should, as soon as we see somebody starting to go floating out the wrong way, we should stop, try to stop it then, right? Exactly. And one of the easiest, one of the, the people that we need to do this with the most, ourselves. That's the first, the first line of defense, humanly speaking, is your own self. David. Psalm 119, don't worry, I'll close after this. Psalm 119, David's talking about, I love your law, how righteous is your law, I follow your law, I'm not like these other evil people, I do this, I do that. And the very last verse of that psalm, you know what he says? Seek your servant, for he has strayed like a lost sheep. Powerful. David is acknowledging, Lord, I've lost my way. Seek me, bring me back. You start with yourself. And then you move out. Then you're ready. Able to be used. Not perfect. You don't have to be. You just have to be a humble, repenting of your sins, believing in Jesus, believer. Striving to do what God says. Trembling at His Word. Taking it seriously. And then going out and helping restore a brother or sister. And... We don't have time this morning, but just all you have to do is go back in James's epistle and see the many ways that we walk away from the truth and need to be brought back. May the Lord use us in our small little congregation to not only reach the lost out there, but to shepherd one another as we see each other now and then. Because guess what? You could be the one in need of being pulled back in next time. Or maybe you're that person now. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that as we walk with You in faith and as we strive to put Your Word into practice, sometimes failing and repenting and coming back, Lord, our prayers are effective. Forgive us for not believing that. Forgive us for doubting so much that we don't pray or we don't pray regularly and we don't pray fervently. Lord, and forgive us for thinking the next guy's got it when we see someone straying. Oh, he'll take care of it. Father, work in our hearts that we would, as you open up our eyes to see that someone, Lord, is, is wandering, is straying. Lord, give us grace. Give us perseverance. Give us wisdom. Give us love. And give us the will, Lord, to go and bring them back for your glory that their soul might be saved from that destructive path they're headed down. And God, Lord, seek us for many ways in our lives we acknowledge we've strayed. We long to have that wholehearted devotion we once had when we first 
met our first love. Be with us to this end, Lord, and may we heed the message of your servant James as he's given it to us in his epistle. We pray in faith and our one and only mediator and hope, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. This Sunday sermon was preached by the Reverend Dr. Santo Garofolo. New City's Sunday Sermon is recorded live on location at New City Fellowship of Atlantic City. If you're in the Atlantic City area, stop by. Our address is 215 North Sovereign Avenue, Atlantic City, New Jersey. Visit us online at newcityac.org. That's www.newcityac.org. Oh God is written and performed by the Reverend Dr. Santa Garofolo. Join us next week for a brand new New City's Sunday Sermon.